Hello world, what's up? Welcome to another episode of Exchange, a show where we discuss interesting problems in the front-end domain and the solutions through the experiences of experts. I'm your host Anurag. Today we are joined by Rakesh and Gautam to talk about micro front-ends. Rakesh is a senior experience technology architect and a polyglot developer who specializes in javascript he works with different teams to implement and enforce engineering best practices and modern standards he is perhaps best known for consulting on graphql and micro frontends gautam chedda is a hands on senior experience technology architect specialized in building high performance web applications he has architected enterprise applications for finance retail and hospitality clients he has also worked in multiple implementations of micro frontends and micro services in node.js and demand driven design using graphql hey rakesh gautam welcome to the show Anurag, glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Hey, thanks, thanks, uh, Gautam. Thanks, Rakesh, for taking the time on a weekend. I know you might have like ten other things to do, uh, but this is an episode that I've been very excited about. Partly because this is something that I've also picked up very recently. The micro frontends topic, not out of choice for me. It was more like an architectural decision that was taken by. uh the solution architecture uh, team that we had on our project uh, but when once i started going through this architecture i became curious i became very convinced that this is one of the good ways to do it and that's where i thought this is something that people need to know because there's not a lot of information available on the internet or even within organizations so really looking forward to it so here goes the first obvious question Frontend development is moving at a rapid and exciting pace, creating truly engaging experiences all the while. Ensuring the source code remains scalable and maintainable is probably now as complex as backend systems. Micro frontends is a relatively new approach for frontend development that emerged just like a couple of years ago. So, what exactly is a micro frontend? Rakesh, you want to take that? right so let's uh, start with the short version right um, the simplest answer would be that micro frontends is using the microservices pattern for the frontend uh, which means breaking the frontend monolith into logical and independently deployable units to ensure that the frontend application is scalable there's fundamentally no impact to the end user in terms of experience and the core intention here is to uh, make the developer experience better and faster time to market with confidence Are you going to later talk about how the developer experience is made better? Because that's one interesting area I'm looking forward to. Yeah. So when I talk about developer experience, it primarily means uh, see uh, when come to micro frontends and we are breaking down the application into uh, multiple domains, right? Uh, you primarily are enabling uh, independent deployment and development of the applications. So you don't have to uh, share most of the artifacts with the other teams uh, when you are going through this process. and you can choose your own release cycle 
and it's your own de deployment cycle, your own processes inside the teams. So that makes it uh, primarily better for the developer. Kind of like working on a small team, but you're actually part of a larger team. Yep. So there are multiple uh, domain teams. So we'll definitely have to talk through how um, microfrontend is broken down into separate uh, domain specific applications, which are handled by the independent teams, right? And when you go through that, uh, you'll understand the advantage of going with the microfrontend approach, primarily in terms of uh, how the de uh, development process is handled within the teams. So Rakesh, uh, when did you get into the micro frontend architecture? When was the first time that you kind of used it? The so first time I officially heard about the term was, I guess, through the ThoughtWorks Decorator around 2016-17, I guess. And then the microfrontends.org site by Michael Gears. Also, uh, Martin Fowler and Luca Mezzalera have been active evangelists in the micro frontend space for quite some time now. In fact, Luca is even working on a book uh, which will be released, I think, uh, by end of this year. He's currently forming a draft of it, and it covers the entire microfrontends light landscape. I'm quite excited and looking forward to that book. Mm -hmm. uh, so, primarily talking about microfrontends itself, uh, to be honest, uh, around 2017, we were all working with different solutions to break the frontend application down to make the releases more manageable, right? Uh, there was no standard approach back then. But now we have roughly five to six different variations of micro frontends to choose from, depending on the application and the use case. And uh, talking about the architecture itself, uh, uh, initially it was a bit difficult to digest uh, because we were hardwired to think in terms of single page versus multi-page standard monolith architecture yeah. and how the dependency management on frontend might become a nightmare. So we all had to go through this mindset change to think in terms of slicing the application down into logically independent pieces and how they can be de developed and deployed in parallel. It was easier said than done, yeah, given the different stakeholders involved in the process uh, from the tech and the business side of things. Hmm. And uh, when you learn this, I'm sure you talked about a mindset shift that needed to happen. And I'm pretty sure right. you had to convince the clients and your leadership also to make this choice, uh, try this out, right? When it, it was still new and evolving. Right, it was quite new to people. And uh, see, uh, when you are actually working with the microfrontends application for the first time, uh, the client that we were working with was a hospitality client. And uh, they had six different teams working in different geographies or across different functional areas. And what they wanted to achieve was uh, a pattern of daily releases instead of going with the standard three weeks iteration. Uh, that was a key objective that they were looking forward to. And when you talk about the teams, each of these teams are working on their own set of independent deliverables in terms of pages, components, and so on. So when we uh, demonstrated the team structure that they can eventually achieve and the kind of release cycles that they can uh, look forward to once we achieve the micro frontends architecture in entirety, uh, they were actually quite convinced and were very happy with how uh, things can be managed independently and uh, how we don't need to share and uh, lose time in collaborating on activities which are not uh, cross-cutting, right? So that mm -hmm. was uh, a good takeaway for the clients as well. Yeah, and mm. Rakesh, that was also the first micro front-end projects that I worked with uh, you. Yep, yep. So it was the first micro front-end uh, project for me and Gautam. And frankly, the timing could not be better, right? Uh, because Gautam and I were already part of a micro front-end focus group within Sapient and building on our own uh, custom uh, solution using server-side composition, uh, which we can talk about uh, more later. 
uh, but it supported universal rendering, single responsibility layers for layout composition, component as a service, shared libraries using uh, Nexus repository. So when I talk about component as a service here, uh, it was basically a JSON containing the initial HTML, the corresponding CSS styles, JS bundles, initial state, and so on. And all of these came together to create different sets of pages for each of these teams, right? And since we already had a base with us, uh, we decided to put this to test and incrementally develop the same and bring it to a level of maturity. Uh, it was almost on the mm -hmm. same lines as uh, Taylor.js architecture, which Zolando has released. I, mean, I think it was released uh, around six months after we were uh, we started on the microfinance architecture. But yeah, I mean, it was uh, different in some respects. So we can have a whole session dedicated to that architecture itself. But yeah, I'll try my best not to digress on this in the interest of time. Interesting. I've never heard of Taylor.js architecture. Can we talk about it a little bit? Yeah, so Taylor.js is a micro frontends framework. Uh, so it comes with uh, a recommendation on the different layers for uh, generating the layout, then coming up with a application for uh, giving you the initial response for the components, and then what are the CSS and JS uh, bundles associated with it. So the layout composition layer basically calls the component uh, service layer and then uh, integrates all the components into a single page before sending it out to the uh, browser. Uh, here we can definitely cache the different pages. So it was uh, mostly server-side rendering based. Uh, there was no client-side rendering. And uh, yeah, I mean, it basically uh, helped you uh, create your components in parallel and independently deploy them without having to change any of the other layers or in having to deploy the entire application. So it was one of the first server-side composition frameworks that I came across. So is it like an architectural guideline or is it actually a framework or a piece of code that is available to yeah, it is a piece of code. It is a piece of code which was released by Zolando, uh, which is an e-commerce site again. So it had an entire suite of all the uh, applications for layout composition, component renderer, and, and so on. So my next question is to Gotham. How are micro frontends different from libraries of components? Because this is one of the first things uh, that I've seen people asking me. And it would be really interesting to get this sorted once and for all. So what are the different approaches that one can take when it comes to stitching together these micro frontends to create a unified application? That's a really good question. And honestly, it confuses a lot of people when they start learning micro frontends. Let me start by explaining library. A library is a code organization pattern that enables reusability of code across various parts of an application. So if you have something that can be reused uh, in multiple places, you would like mm -hmm. to keep it as part of a library. But every time you make a change to that library code, the entire code base needs to be built and deployed because front-end is essentially a monolith. Mm. And in such scenarios, identifying the areas of regression becomes difficult. And at most of the time, it requires entire application to be tested for regression as you know you would want to be confident on what you are deploying and it should not break something mm. a micro front end as rakesh explained earlier is breaking the front end monolith into independently deployable units and these deployable units are then composed by a separate layer to create the entire web page so instead of deploying the entire code base, smaller chunks of codes are built and shipped. So 
for example, there was a reusable piece which was used in just two parts of the application, then you will deploy two smaller code bases rather than the entire code base. And now because you are shipping only small part of the entire code universe, it drastically reduces the scope of regression and also improves testability. In micro frontend terms, each of the independently deployable and composable application that we just talked about is known as a fragment. Mm -hmm. And to compose or stitch those fragments together to form a web page, you have on a high level three different approaches uh, to do that. So the first one being client side composition, second one being server side composition, and finally, the edge side include. Mm. In client side composition, a fragment is created using web components. And these web components are then composed on the client side using the app shell strategy. So essentially to the browser, you are sending the app shell and on the browser, you are composing different web components and the dependencies are downloaded for each of the component. It requires very less changes on the server side because essentially you are not doing any server side rendering, but because of that, because you are rendering the components on the client side, it also suffers with higher time to interactive and there is more cumulative layout shift that you are going to see in the application. And also it impacts the SEO of the site, right? So right, case, but yeah, uh, I think this sounds very similar to uh, the opening approach that Google talks about in its web.dev documentation, uh, the app shell strategy, although they talk about it in more generic terms, not uh, from a micro front end perspective, but from a performance and accessibility perspective, but very similar to what you talked about using web components and uh, doing the stitching at the client side. Uh, and I do totally get that point also uh, regarding the time to interactive, which is one of the important uh, performance metrics we generally measure using Lighthouse and PSI. Uh, but is the point regarding SEO still valid today? Because I've heard that a lot of uh, search engines now do support JavaScript for indexing. So Correct. What do you think about search that? Engines, search engines do support, but it's essentially better if you are providing search engines with the server side render content as it also improves the performance. So we cannot ignore the bit that performance is one of the metrics that even search engines are looking for when they are ranking the pages. And yeah. if you are rendering your content from the server side, essentially all search engines are not that advanced. You can talk about Google as they can go and render some of the JavaScript, but that again depends how much memory that crawler is actually having uh, and how much time it is going to spend on the site. And crawler yeah. tends to visit site multiple times. So essentially, if it's a client side render, it's still going to crawl it. But how much is it going to weigh in from SEO perspective is, is a different question altogether. Right. Interestingly, we had a pretty comprehensive discussion about Google's uh, Web Vitals strategy, or I would say uh, they are changing their algorithm come August, uh, and they're going to prioritize websites that are performant. 
So in the last okay. episode, uh, I was joined by Manish and we discussed that part in detail. So that's uh, interesting that you brought that up. Uh, and the other approach you talked about was server-side composition, right, Gautam? So, that uh, is correct. So how about it? How is it different okay. from client-side composition? Uh, I mean, from a strategy perspective. Sure. Uh, it's the setup for a server-side composition is a bit complex. Again, it is similar to what Rakesh explained some time back, the architecture of Taylor.js. So what you need is first layer, which is a module resolver. It is a server that is capable of rendering a fragment on a server. So we discussed what a fragment is. It's essentially a independently deployable application. So we need capability to render that fragment on the server. And because we that fragment essentially is not the entire web page and the page needs to compose it, we also need to send the HTML along with any CSS and JS dependencies that are required to render that fragment. Then there is another server that we need which can essentially compose the entire page structure. So that layout composition server invokes the fragment server multiple times to get rendering of different fragments, compose it into a single page and send it back to the browser. And uh, to get what different fragments uh, needs to be composed on a page, it can get that information from a CMS. And now because we are returning the entire page which is rendered on a server, this actually gives us a better SEO and uh, a faster time to interactive. Yeah, but it does impact the cost a bit, right? Um, since you yeah. talked about a separate server for rendering the fragments, which I suppose in modern applications would a lot of times be a Node.js server, if I'm not wrong, right? So you would need a separate instance of that server and then a separate instance of that layout composition server and that kind of stitches everything together. That is correct. So essentially with similar to how microservices are built and deployed, you will need separate services which are essentially capable of rendering fragment and the entire page template. So yes, but it also gives you a freedom that you are now able to independently scale your rendering service and also your layout engine separately. Mm. And, and uh, if you want to go with a polyglot approach where you want to render different types of uh, applications, then mm -hmm. similar thing can also be achieved by uh, spawning an instance of a different uh, fragment server, the layout, the module resolver, right? If you create a module resolver for React and you have another module resolver for Angular, your page mm -hmm. composer can essentially work with any one of them. You're right, right. No, certainly a pretty scalable architecture. Uh, I've seen that in action in uh, one of the websites, uh, a live websites. Uh, that uh, PS has worked on in the past. It was pretty good. And um, I think uh, I was pretty convinced that uh, this approach is uh, although very scalable. The only thing is that uh, it does require some significant amount of time and effort uh, and maturity, right? So something I think to consider. Uh, but 
one question that comes to mind you talked about uh, you know cms also how can a cms help with the page composition right so there are two different types of page composition strategies one where your site page composition is almost static for example if you take an take a, a e-commerce site for instance the structure for pages like uh, product listing page or product detail page they essentially remain consistent mm. right you won't change them again and again so these are somewhat like uh, pages which are statically composed but you will also have pages which require dynamic composition for example your home page your readme or uh, about us page so these pages essentially can compose different components and might require support for authoring where an author can pick and choose which component to show on which position and what content to show inside it so a cms governed authoring helps you achieve it but the layout engine should be able to get the json structure from the cms so essentially we use headless cms in those cases which mm -hmm. returns the json structure and the layout engine can then iterate through that json structure and create the page composition and invoke the respective fragment uh, from the uh, module resolvers interesting and you mentioned about uh, the content model coming from a headless cms that i think is kind of like how modern applications are being developed today and interestingly uh, we recently did an experiment and we are now moving that into mm -hmm. production so uh, we were using uh, we were made to kind of use aem uh, adobe cms although there was a lot of resistance within the uh, architecture team uh, we wanted to use something like contentful or something that is natively built for headless right. uh, but that is what we had to do with and then what we did was uh, something that i'm pretty sure adobe would be uh, wary of so we made uh, aem operate in uh, headless mode now as per the official docs aem does support uh, headless mode and uh, uh, on an on premise uh, edition but we were using the cloud version and it was recommended not to do that and that's what i think is going to irk the adobe guys when they are going to review our architecture but eventually what we found out was that it was infinitely better to get a micro front end architecture based on a headless uh, architecture because a lot of the complexities you can handle then on the server side otherwise you kind of have to deal with the rendering engine and how the templates are generated by CMS, how they're rendered on the front end. It's very hard to override those templates and the server-side rendering, especially if you want your application to be completely SSR'd, right? So this is one small experiment that we did. Everyone liked it and now we are moving that into production, but it was a pretty good learning curve. Great. And that is very true even for uh, having the server side rendered. And again, if you are doing a deployment, again, just for changing the layout composition, that essentially defeats the purpose of going with micro frontends. Exactly.
it's time for a quick snap a small segment where a fellow experienced technologist shares a pro tip trivia or a community update today's snap is brought to you by sudhir madan thanks anurag for having me here um, myself sudhir madan um, so i am working as an architect um, i love developing different architecture and taking consideration references from the well developed architecture um, so few months back i came to know about my about the micro front end i ex- explored that so we used to have microservices concept for api but same was not there in the front end so luckily we have micro fronted we solve a major part of issues such as independent deployment port wise development and better scalability so here i would like to share my experience here where we were working with one of the us client and they were exploring the option to support different apps under the hood they have different teams who would be working on different apps without hindering their work of each other so they were also looking the individual build deployment so we came up with the idea of micro fronted so where we suggested to keep each app separately each individual app will have its own configuration so that other pod member work should be not be impacted for code shareability uh, we explored the concept of lips so a separate team will be responsible to create the shareable code such as button icon etc so text tag which we proposed was the ams cm cms and for front end we used uh, react style component along with the apollo client um so here i would like to discuss the challenges we faced um, and let me tell you there were many such as um, integration with the server side rendering with aem although aem doesn't give anything out of the box to support the server side rendering with react uh, we did it by using the micro front ends we made node assembler uh, which is completely a separated and consume the component from other apps to construct the page so the beauty here is it does not impact the other apps developer can continuously work on their respective apps and develop their component since each app has their own responsibility due to segregation based on port somehow help in increase the productivity of each individual developer um so there were instances where we faced the challenges on the server side rendering of these styles since this has major majorly impacted on node assembler uh development work kept on due to well managed uh, segregation you get more from the micro front end architecture than creating the simple just manageable architecture so i would like to share the key benefits here like the better scalability faster development as team uh, can work independently this benefit however is applicable only if your project is big and has more than one front end team um you can also use multiple framework in your application however it should be done mindfully and transparently to avoid confusion nevertheless you have a choice of what to use or for a particular task what's more a development team can choose their own technology other benefits like the deployment independence easier testing easier hiring of experts so i would like to elaborate this point uh, so with micro front end you look for a professional to work on a specific part of of an app where a particular tech stack is used so you do not need them to know the technology that other team use these are the benefits which you eventually get from the micro front end so i would definitely like all you to see uh, exploring the architecture of micro front end in future and gautam what was the third strategy you talked about so we talked about client side composition we talked about server side what was the third one the third one is uh, edge side include so it is similar to server side composition but instead of layout composition layer the work here is done on the cdn layer the responses mm-hmm. from different fragment layer are composed on a cdn server and uh, sent to the client 
Oh, interesting. So I think uh, CDNs are so popular these days. I don't imagine any enterprise project without a CDN, right? So I think HSIDE includes, right? Or ESI. Right. ESI. Should be something that uh, every front-end developer should be aware about, right? And is ESI supported by uh, all popular CDNs or is it something available only with limited amount of CDNs? All the popular uh, CDNs that are uh, working with enterprises are supporting it. Uh, they have different naming convention for it. So edge side computing is something that is, you know, gaining popularity uh, as it takes you closer uh, to each client. So the request doesn't have to travel to the central server where the entire processing is happening. So essentially that helps in reducing the time of response nice uh, it's absolutely good to know all the three strategies that are available to us and i'm pretty sure that uh, these are still at a high level at a more lower level if you dig deep into let's say server side strategy or client st side strategy i'm sure that um, something um, new is coming up every day a new architecture is coming up right um, right but now that we have discussed these three approaches, can you give our listeners an example of one flow of how components would interact in such a flow, how the data would flow and sure. how does one imagine, you know, setting it up? I, I understand your point and uh, there will be different instances where the micro front end applications will require to communicate with each other. So let's take an example of again, uh, an e-commerce site where we are on a product listing page. Uh, let's assume that header mm -hmm. and product listing components are two different micro front end applications. Okay. And header has a mini cart component and product listing has different products, which has an add to cart button. So when you click on the add to cart button on a product, the mini part component also needs to be updated. Mm -hmm. Now, because these are two independently deployable components, communication right. between these two components is not very straightforward. You can't directly pass the props to uh, send the message. But how mm -hmm. you manage such communication is via patterns like PubSub or a global observer pattern. Uh, these apps, can actually go and trigger custom events, which can be listened by the other app, right? And sometime back, there was also a solution uh, to share the states between microfront and it was uh, Redux Dino Store, but mm -hmm. it is now deprecated and event-based communication is essentially the primary source of communication between the apps. Mm. Kind of like it is in case of microservices also, right? That is correct. So a lot of the design principles are actually picked up from microservices. Correct. So each micro app uh, on the front end or micro front end is actually maintaining its own state, similar to how a microservice manages its own database. And when they have to communicate with each other, they use uh, a message bus or an event-driven architecture to communicate. Mm -hmm. So yeah, those are some very similar uh, uh, comparisons that you can make between a microservice and micro frontends. So yes. Sure. sure. And does the traditional state management solutions still work with a micro frontend strategy, <laughs> something like Redux or uh, maybe context APIs? Can they be adapted 
to make micro frontends work? So within the micro frontend, you can definitely use uh, these. The other strategy that is coming across micro frontends is about using micro apps where you make an entire piece of an application as an independently deployable unit rather than making separate components as independently deployable units. So when I say that, essentially, let's say the browse pages of a site, for example, the home page, the PDP page or PLP page, they are composed as a single application, which is browse and the checkout pages like cart, shipping, payments, confirmation. These are separate pages uh, in a separate uh, micro app, which is a checkout app, right? So essentially these can be composed in different applications and deployed and over there you can go ahead and use similar strategies for uh, managing the state. Hmm. I, I hope that answer the question. Yeah, that certainly answers the question. I think uh, inter-application communication is certainly something not a trivial problem to solve, right? And it will require some research, some adaptation of existing technologies until we get a kind of an overarching solution that kind of like Webpack 5 was aiming at with its module federation thing. But until we have that, I think it is looks like a topic that we need to go deeper into to understand, right? Uh, just to yeah. add to that, uh, I mean, if, uh, Gautam talked about the Redux Dino Store uh, uh, library, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so it is currently deprecated, but the pattern is still valid. Uh, so it's deprecated because it's no longer maintained by the uh, people who created it. Uh, but that pattern is still valid in terms of uh, isolating the different states within the Redux Store. So when you have one single uh, Redux Store, which is valid throughout the application, right? And within that store, you are registering what are the different spaces uh, that each of these micro frontends will take up and uh, they can uh, manage their own state within that particular subspace. And there can be a global subspace as well, uh, which can be accessed by all the applications when you have context like authentication, authorization information, and uh, something which is global uh, throughout all the micro frontends, right? So you can make use of uh, Redux Dino Store kind of a pattern uh, and then go ahead with this uh, communication patterns as well. So essentially, it's about creating namespaces within your uh, Redux store so that when you communicate with different applications, the data and the messages, they don't collide with each other. That sure seems to be a lot of options to choose from. So let's say that we have uh, four to five micro frontends, all developed and tested by independent teams. Is it possible to compose a page with a couple of components from let's say frontend one and the other from frontend two, another from frontend three and so on. Or is it a page supposed to contain components only from one micro frontend? What's the best practice here? Okay, I'll take that question. Um, but before I answer that, uh, I think the first question that needs to be answered here is uh, how do we break down the monolith application uh, if it is an existing application or what is the approach one should take when starting from scratch, right? So it's fundamentally important to align the tech with the business side of the product. And the recommended approach that we go ahead with is uh, domain-driven design or DDD in short. And uh, DDD starts with the idea of identifying parts of the application that represents a part of the subdomain of the final application. Uh, if I talk about a hotel reservation app, the subdomains that we one can think about is the search 
and then reservation or booking, then comes checkout and so on, right? So you break your application into uh, functional areas and then create the applications out of those areas. So Rakesh, is this DDD you're talking about, is it similar to the one being followed in microservices? Yeah, I can say it's 100% the same thing. Uh, why it's important mm -hmm. to align the front-end and back-end teams with the similar subdomains is so, so that you can have a, a unified team, uh, something like a two-visa team when you talk about in terms of Agile, right? So you have your front-end developers and you have your back-end developers who are working on the same domain within a front-end. So you have you can share knowledge within the team itself and any kind of uh, front and back and interactions can be decided by this independent team and doesn't have to uh, move outside and you don't have to discuss with the others regarding the approach that you're trying to take internally. So the DDD uh, applies to both teams uh, simultaneously and we need to come up with a similar structure for uh, uh, aligned ways of working. So each of these subdomains that you create uh, can be uh, now be different applications which are responsible for their own pages and functional components when it comes to the front end. And this does not mean that a front component created by a search subdomain cannot be used by a page that is owned by a booking team, right? So as Gautam mentioned, intercomponent communication patterns play a vital role in micro front ends and needs to be standardized across the teams so that it becomes a seamless uh, plug and play for all the teams, irrespective of uh, which team is owning the component. This Approach that I uh, primarily described by uh, for breaking down the domains is called vertical slicing, and that is a standard approach that uh, teams go ahead with when they are uh, choosing the micro front end architecture. The other approach uh, would be slicing horizontally, which means identifying the micro front ends inside the same view or same page. So your header footer becomes part of the same team, and then you have, uh, if you can talk about e-commerce, the product list itself can be handled by a separate team. So you are uh, having different teams for the same view uh, and page composition is primarily becomes a divided responsibility uh, between these teams. Going with uh, vertical slicing is my personal preference uh, when it's a large team as it simplifies the decisions and the ways of working uh, uh, going forward for all the teams. Mm. In the same context, uh, when I talk about common components versus domain uh, teams, right? Uh, let's talk about the, the concept of core versus domain teams. So there's a huge list of cross-cutting concerns which can quickly spiral out of control if proper governance is not put in place. Things like design system, global components, build pipeline, quality gates, performance monitoring, all these are cross-cutting concerns which are applicable to each and every team. So setting up a platform team to address all these cross-cutting concerns uh, makes it seamless. And some of the primary responsibilities that the platform team handles are uh, you can say design system and reusable elements. So if you have a header footer, which becomes global functional components, uh, which each and every team needs to have on their pages, right? Then choosing which is the intercomponent communication pattern that you are standardizing across different teams. So that when you, then they want to share data. Uh, so if you have a search application, uh, you are getting the results and you want to share that data with the reservation component. So you want to establish a standard com communication pattern between these micro front ends. Uh, so that they can just close on a contract and then decide on what is the functionality that they need to execute whenever that message is received. And right. Primarily and when there a, are, yeah, right. Right. So this is a very similar approach that uh, we are taking in our project also. Uh, mm -hmm. So you talked about core versus domain teams and you talked about uh, the core team being uh, the platform team that can address the cross-cutting concerns. 
वेरी अर्ली ऑन वी ऑल्सो आइडेंटिफाइड दैट फ्रॉम अ गवर्नेंस स्टैंड पॉइंट इट मेक सेंस टू हैव दिस काइंड ऑफ अ सेग्रीगेशन एंड हैव योर बेस्ट पीपल इन दी प्लेटफॉर्म टीम सो दैट दे कैन टेक दोज डिजाइन डिसीजन्स ensure that the code quality is top notch and uh, whatever they set in the cross cutting concerns uh, that will be uh, you know consumed by the other the other micro front end teams also right and right. Uh, the similar thing goes for microservices as well so we have a similar segregation for microservices wherein all the cross cutting concerns you talked about performance monitoring you talked about logging or not all these things i think uh, definitely makes sense to have in a central place maybe in the same repository and that that's maybe a you know different topic altogether whether to store all the micro frontends in the same repository in a mono repo setup or to go poly repo right like like the usual thing in our case we are doing a mono repo and uh, so we have a base folder that contains all the platform elements and then we have service specific folders nested inside the services folder for the microservices and uh, a very similar thing we are following for micro front ends right so we have a base folder and then uh, a front end front ends folder where we are nesting all the front ends but i think uh, from a practical standpoint this, this definitely makes sense right but and uh, the majority mm-hmm. of the platform team also needs to be high i mean it's not uh, necessarily having the best developers maybe uh, it's more about the maturity of the developers who are part of the platform team uh, because even communicating any kind of changes to the design overall with respect to maybe the global components or the intercomponent uh, communication you might have multiple uh, changes in the framework that are happening over time and you need to communicate those changes through a common channel to all the domain teams so that everyone is in sync so it's more about the maturity of the platform team uh, that needs to be high exactly and uh, this kind of brings another related but not exactly uh, derived question so what about applications that are orchestrating the responses for the front end in a typical architecture we have a node layer on top of the microservices to help with that how do we right. manage this layer right so uh, we need to extend the same approach uh, for the uh, back end for front end layer as well uh, which you referring to as the orchestrating layer right so you have uh, suppose you have a search application within the entire suite and you have a search backend for front end application which uh, sits on top of the various microservices to orchestrate the responses uh, and then give a similar view for the uh, view uh, for the front end layer so that uh, the component can be rendered in a particular manner uh, now it needs to be managed by the respective domain teams itself so it's not a separate team who will manage these uh, manage this orchestrating layer or the pff layer as uh, in the past uh, we have used a graphql schema stitching as part in our first implementation uh, which i worked with uh, gotham uh, to have a unified graphql endpoint even though the resources within the graph were independent uh, graphql applications but we had a unified uh, api gateway which was a graphql uh, application as well which uh, stitched mm-hmm. together all the schemas from the different independent applications and provided a unified endpoint eventually to the front end application now uh, there are different patterns available right uh, like uh, apollo federation to achieve the same instead of going ahead with the schema switching so that exactly. definitely makes it easier yep exactly and i think uh, apollo federation apart from solving the schema switching problem elegantly i think their main uh, debate or their main uh, argument is uh, regarding the separation of concerns 
yeah. I think uh, what they promote is rather than separating the concerns based on entities, you do it based on responsibility. So who is responsible for populating the data yeah. uh, for uh, one kind of entity, right? So if, for example, a user schema references a list of products, then it should be the product microservice that actually populates that data. It should not be uh, the user for service going back to the product service to request that data, making a you know maybe an event-driven call or maybe a request response call. Exactly. Um, so, so I we have seen benefits from Apollo Federation. Pretty neat and uh, pretty clean architecture, and especially when you use abstractions on top of that. So we are using Nest JS. And SGS comes with a lot of wrappers for Apollo, very well written, very opinionated, but yep. very clean. So kind of very consistent APIs with the rest of the uh, architecture. Yeah, Great. kind of uh, promote uh, using TypeScript for the backend uh, primarily, uh, and oh, using NestJS actually gives you a good level of abstraction with respect to dividing your applications in terms of even uh, if you're going with microservices or you're going with GraphQL, it provides a wrapper for each of them to keep a consistent uh, way to code the backend, right? Uh, so yeah, I mean, definitely NestJS is one of the best frameworks out there doing that. Yep. And uh, Rakesh, just to add to that, uh, when I did my next GraphQL implementation in one of the accelerator that we were building, for uh, the e-commerce domain, Jade, uh, we used the GraphQL Federation uh, for building the GraphQL layer uh, so that all different vertical slices that we created for uh, the domains, that they were as separate uh, GraphQL federated modules. The discussion will continue in part two of this episode.